Hello, and welcome back to the When We Were Young podcast. This is Seth, and this is part two of a two-part journey revisiting MTV's real world. You can listen to part one in episode 105 if you haven't caught up yet. This episode picks up where we begin discussing one of real world's most legendary seasons, season three in San Francisco. So good luck, and don't puck it up. So that will bring us to season three, the San Francisco season, which is considered by many to be like the best season and one of the most memorable ones for a couple of different reasons. The cast members were Pedro, originally from Cuba, then moved to Miami at age eight. He was an HIV educator and had AIDS. Corey, a college student from Fresno, the token sheltered cast member. <laughs> Judd, a cartoonist looking for love. Muhammad, a Muslim singer-songwriter. Pam, an overachiever who says she's never failed, a medical student. Rachel, a young Republican from Arizona. And Puck, a bike messenger who went to jail and got hit by a car on his first day of shooting. (laughs) I had forgotten that part. (laughs) And the unsung eighth cast member, Jewel. uh, Yes, that Jewel, who turned down the show. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. What? Do you mean that she applied and auditioned? And yeah, then... I think it sounds like they offered it to her. Like, wow. She's like, don't worry, I'm going to go live in my van instead. <laughs> yeah. She's like, you will get no pieces of me. <laughs> she thought it was like too inauthentic. She's like, I'm not going to play these foolish games. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm not here to play foolish games. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to make friends. And they're like, no thanks. <laughs> so we watched a few of these episodes, which are very watchable, I would say. I mean, pretty much right away. I, I think, mean, the oh. second Puck came on screen, I was like, Puck. Yeah. I remember this character. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Puck. Oh, Puck. <laughs> I feel like his parents named him to be kicked off a show someday. Like, Yes. One of the things he says, I think, in the first episode is that he has a collection of scab photos to show everyone. I believe it. He's a bike messenger. Yeah, you honked yourself running a red light, didn't you, man? Yeah, I'm my own boss. I've gotten so many scabs and delivered enough stuff to where now I'm kind of at the pinnacle of being a bike messenger. Bike messengers are pretty revered as a high thing here in San Francisco. Bike back, bike back. Thank you. A lot of people all over the world pretty much know who we are and what we do. And that it's a pretty radical thing to do because, you know, there's a lot of traffic. The car is my enemy. Bike messengering is dangerous. I have no fear at all. He's really excited about being a bike messenger. He thinks that's He's basically cool. like Bart Simpson in 10 years. <laughs> like Bart Simpson was allowed to grow or, up. Yeah. yeah. But like Bart Simpson with a diagnosable personality disorder. <laughs> like episodes from this were the first real world I ever saw. I don't remember why I remembered Puck so much. Well, he's like he quite was so memorable. he's so memorable. Like I remembered him like from my childhood. I knew uh, who he was, and I never saw a single episode of this season until yeah. it we was, watched it now. This came out in '94, the year of OJ, and yet it still managed to like sneak into pop Who's culture. Who's more dislikable, <laughs> Huck or OJ? OJ Who would you rather live with? Oh, God. SNL sketch. <laughs> 
Puck is an insane, narcissistic psychopath and a manipulative douchebag. And then alternatingly, he's an extremely sweet kid brother who like literally loves to wander around and run around in nature. Frolic with elk shirtless. And as he's doing, I think while the rest of the cast is going to like an AIDS march. <laughs> there were like a couple of the female cast members who he was friends with. That's apparently. True. Wasn't he like hooking up with one? Uh-huh. Yeah. There was a, like a love triangle between him and Jed and... No, I think uh, Rachel. I and think Rachel. Was... Yeah. Him and Jed. Like Jed likes Rachel. And oh, okay. Then, yeah. Well, Judd is married and to uh, is the other the... girl now, the the medical student. Oh, really? They've been married for like 30 years. Pam? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, and Rachel, I did a little research. Rachel wow. is like the conservative young Republican, so it's very weird that she would be into like the grease ball. I, well, I get it because it's the kind of guy that those women fall for. True. Because he's the closest analog to a hippie. He's not quite a hippie. He's a bit too, like, practical and has practical hands-on abilities. What was funny is we watched, like, episode one, and then the next episode we watched was, like, basically them talking about kicking him out of the house. Because in season- in episode one, I was like, I like Puck! He's fun! He's got presents! And, like, I was kind of, like, really looking forward to, like, spending time with him watching this. And then the next episode was, Puck is the worst! <laughs> Puck is a piece of shit! When it was, like... <laughs> I understood more after rewatching the episodes why I recognized him so much. Um, it's because I grew up with a narcissist, and he like epitomizes narcissist energy to a T. They are so present and so engaged, but the only reason they are ever present and engaged is for the own ride that they are on themselves, and literally no one else is allowed to exist or allowed to be separate from that. And I really immediately realized why he was so destructive and draining to all the people in the house. In an episode, it's super charming, but you literally cannot live with that. It is completely and entirely draining. I may have missed this, but what was his problem with Pedro? Was just that he had AIDS or that he was gay or... Well, I, I think they had conflicts over that, but I think it was more just, it wasn't about that. Like, Pedro basically issued an ultimatum that was like, I'm either moving out or he's going. I thought it was something specifically against Pedro, and then the rest of the housemates were like, actually, Puck sucks. There was, like, conflict between the, the two of them. That is the conflict that we're talking about, because he does... Pedro did ultimately issue that ultimatum. What we need from you is to be less abrasive. It's not gonna happen. I, I feel... I feel portrayed by them as friends. While I went around, they were picking on me all the time and, and having little meetings about how they're gonna handle me, how should we handle the puck. I personally feel that if I'm going to live with anybody... I need to have them respect certain things about me. I don't agree. If you don't like me, I'm not going to be that nice to you. And I don't have to be that nice to you. Because obviously there's other people participating, they like me fine. But you know what? And other people that get pushed away by the harshness, that's good for me. I like that. Then they're gone. I don't think it was about specifically about Pedro's like AIDS or homosexuality. Okay, I though, wasn't. I that feel like conflict. I missed something. Although okay. I think Puck was also insensitive about that. He was like completely like beyond dismissive about it. 
Because, like, Pedro was going to do, like, a speech, a presentation to people. Pam, and I think at least one of the other housemates, like, went to that, you know, just a a basic show of support. And they're in fucking San Francisco, which is gay mecca even at that time. And even when Pedro would say things like, you know, like, worrying that he was going to die of AIDS, Puck would be like, whatever, fine, go ahead. Mm, Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, this is a really interesting season. I mean, you can definitely tell that the show has evolved from that first season like the casting especially in this is like pretty sharp for the most part they're like three or four at least like very interesting people the music budget also got better since the first season (laughs) oh that was fun to hear all the old hits Mm -hmm. (laughs) some Tori Amos in there (laughs) but yeah I mean this season I had never seen any of I knew who like Pedro and Puck were just because I think this is the season that like made this show a real phenomenon and like it permeated pop culture enough that like people even people who didn't watch the show and someone who is like as young as me and like too young to be watching MTV at this time like knew who like these names I think especially Puck but like it's very emotional watching this season with Pedro who has AIDS and as the show is progressing like his his T-cells are getting lower and lower and one of the other house members Pam is a, a doctor and so it's really interesting because she knows much more than anyone else like kind of what's going on and sees you know that like this guy probably doesn't have a lot of time left and then go on um Dapson yeah. for the pneumonia okay so. pedro is scaring me he might get really sick and i really hope he's an exception because he's an incredible person that's not fair you know the first patient i ever had died of AIDS. it's still not the same it is not the same as Pedro living in our house. I tell myself, you know, you're setting yourself up for a real fall. And it's like, you know, still in there anyway. It's just too big. I've never, ever, ever had to deal with this. We should note here that when this season was filmed and released, this was before there were HIV antiretroviral drugs. Yeah. HIV was not a controllable disease. There was no PrEP. There weren't even, like, AZT. The drugs that made it possible for HIV to not progress into AIDS and to prevent all of the other associated maladies from presenting themselves None of those existed yet. Yeah, and so over the course of the season, Pedro meets a guy named Sean, who is also HIV positive, and they start a relationship. And so it was really interesting to see, like, a, a gay relationship, because I, 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 the other seasons had gay characters, but I don't think they dwelled on, like, a relationship. And so, I mean, just, like, obviously, like, this is not something that you saw on network TV or a TV drama this time. Because this was a reality, like, it's just mild ahead of like what people were seeing on TV like elsewhere. I'm sorry. They don't portray couples with AIDS. Like this is something that never would have been on scripted TV. Still isn't to this day. People with AIDS are only allowed to be tragedies. And the relationship of these two people is so sweet and supportive and good. It was very touching to watch this. It was also like maybe the very first commitment ceremony slash wedding on TV between two gay people. Like, I think that's groundbreaking. Yeah. For 1994. 
Yeah, and like Seth was saying, it shows what life with AIDS is like versus you would see it in movies, but it's usually like the dying, part. the death, and Philadelphia like maybe a was little the year bit. before. Yeah, so I mean, even still, like you really don't see. There's a little bit more representation of being HIV positive, but especially like being at this stage of like AIDS, it's hard to watch. Even today, you don't really see it in narratives because then it becomes about the dying of AIDS or they're on the retro viral drugs so they're mostly healthy but you don't really see it because it's like well why are we putting why are we giving this characteristic to this character unless we're going to do something with it but because this is quote-unquote reality somebody's real life then that's the reality of these people's lives is that pedro has aids his boyfriend a husband is hiv positive like then you can actually see what it's like to be living with these things because it's not like what are we going to do with this characteristic like it's just what they have it's like, what happens it's just yeah. their life i just i found it really great of mtv to go there honestly because they didn't have to and yet they did and the show poses it as a beautiful thing it's shown as a very beautiful thing that they get married and have this ceremony and i think that's really great and i <laughs> don't really want to give like props to like a mega conglomerate but like <laughs> good I, job viacom but like i have to because they are the ones that are like let's put this on the air and I think it did a lot of good. The thing that I am most taken aback by is just how confident Pedro is and how unapologetic he is to be gay and have AIDS. He does talk a little bit about like, oh, I'm, you know, a little insecure about telling people for the first time, but he still does it. Mm -hmm. um, and I just find he was 22 and I just find him remarkable. He was and he's like they they. In the episodes we watched, you know, he was doing, like, TV interviews, you know, he was standing up in front of crowds. He was, like, so poised and self-aware for a 22-year-old. Yeah, a 22-year-old immigrant. I guess he's an American citizen, but he's, I'm sure, seen as an outsider for many reasons to the broader culture. And yet he's just like, nope, I am gay. I have AIDS. This is who I am. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to show my life. And I find that so inspiring. There's not... One second of my day that I'm not aware that I am HIV positive. But that doesn't mean that my happier moments are less happier because I am HIV positive. And I don't want to forget that I have AIDS. You know, and I don't want you to forget that I have AIDS. You have to understand, AIDS is part of my life. It's, it's my reality. It's who I am. I will probably not see the age of 30. I will probably die before I turn 30 years of age. But that's, of course, is statistically speaking. And, and what I have to remind myself is constantly that I am not a statistic, I am a human being. And, and, and somehow you have to find some t type of meaning to your life. I have to believe that there's a sense to all of this, that all the pain that I'm going through, that all the, the, the anger, the other frustration, that there's something bigger than, than, than that. And, and, and I, I, I believe in a God. And I have this belief that God is never going to give me more than I could handle at a day's time. Yeah, and the decision both by him to go on a show, you know, like, he could have been doing other things. I mean, he was doing other things while he was on the show. Like, I think he would have continued doing those things regardless. But, you know, to make that decision and be, you know, judged by roommates and then a whole TV audience and the decision of, yeah, the producers and MTV to cast him, they could have just continued casting just a gay cast member. Like, they did not have to go with him, but they clearly wanted to, like, tell that story and felt that that was an important story, which it 
very much was in the 90s with this kind of story not being told in this way. Philadelphia was probably the closest thing to this at the time. So yeah, to show people like at the time, and I think maybe even in parts of this show, there's people who are worried, should they touch him? Can they get it from touching him? You know, and that's where a lot of people's minds were because there just wasn't, you know, that much information in widespread media. You know, there was information, obviously, if you chose to seek it out. But yeah, at the time, it was still this kind of like taboo thing to even discuss for a lot of people. So yeah, I mean, I think it's really brave on everyone's part to have told this story at this time. And I don't know if you looked it up, but I know that Pedro died, I think maybe the year after. It was like... It was the week that the show aired. The, Jesus Christ. Like the last episode, when it when the season concluded, he oh. like died right after. I was 11, and I remember there being specials on MTV in honor of Pedro and like people talking about it and like memorials and stuff. And he was actually, I read elsewhere that he was going to be invited to President Bill Clinton's like first symposium on AIDS which was like the first time a president was making that a national thing. And I think he died before he was able to go. And I think Sean went in his place. Mm. And it's it's sad because you're watching the show and he still has a lot of hope as, you know, you should, you know, you should hope for the best. But it's like, I mean, I'm sure watching it at the time was a different experience, but watching it now, obviously we know that he did not have long. And like in general, when you think, oh, you're going to watch the real world, you're, you think you're going to like see some scandals and whatever and have a good time. And this is like a very different, like very much more emotional experience. Yeah, this was a very captivating season that it was hard to go to the next ones. Because yeah. I was like, I don't care about these people's bitch. <laughs> and, and honestly, it is, like we were saying, I th- I think it is a, a, a notch in the belt of reality TV as a possible venue to show stories and tell stories that wouldn't otherwise be told. And pretty much a high point, because I don't think any reality show has really even attempted to do this that I'm aware of, you know, to, to kind of take on something that's so unspoken about and, like, timely as this. Like, I... I I hate reality. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to reality TV. There's so much of it. I'm sure there's something that has taken. That You're has, right. You know what I like? I'm sure there's something out there that. Bad Girls Club. Is this too much? Yeah, definitely went there. Well, I'm just talking about like trans issues in the last few years. I'm I'm sure there's a show that I'm not even thinking of that has tackled trans issues. I know Queer Eye that Jonathan is non-binary and has discussed like. They've had trans people on the show. I'm just... Well, but even even in that context, the seams of Queer Eye are very visible and overt. It's for the sake of the, you know, the people they're making over. It's not for the sake of Jonathan. Like, people only really know that because he talks about it in, you know, his podcast and on his media and in his branding. I'm just saying it's representation. I guess kind of what I'm saying um, is that I don't know that any reality show has ever taken this kind of risk before. Like, this feels risky. Okay. In a way that I don't know that, of course there's a million shows something might be close but we probably would have heard about it if it was really as like groundbreaking as this all right so and then the show was over (laughs) they were like we're not gonna top this well they did not top it for several more seasons (laughs) sure didn't yeah i didn't watch any of the next few seasons i watched a few episodes of season four just because like and there is someone who gets their tongue bitten off don't remember that in london (laughs) not their whole tongue but like the tip of their tongue by a human Yes, like during a concert performance, like he sticks his tongue out at someone in the audience who bites it. 
I'll pass. I'll skip that season. And then Thank can't you. talk for like at least a few episodes. <laughs> when they do ones in like London or other countries, is it all Americans? Uh, no, but it's, it's still mostly Americans. But at least like one or two were. I think one was like maybe Irish, and yeah, so they're from like okay. the UK. But yeah, but a lot of them were Americans. But the next season that is really worth delving into would be season seven. That is my season. Is that why? (laughs) Yeah. No, it just happens to be that each of us got our hometown represented in one of the most interesting (laughs) seasons of the show. This one being Seattle. The cast includes Janet, a Korean-American journalism student at Northwestern. Stephen, a black former Muslim who converted to Judaism, who has a temper. <laughs> and Irene, who is suffering from Lyme disease, if she might mention it once or twice. It's It was one thing to go from, like, Pedro and AIDS to Lyme disease, it felt. Yeah. <laughs> no offense to people that have Lyme disease, it just felt like a step down. Well, Lyme disease exists, but a lot of people claim something called chronic Lyme disease. And it's, it's just a constellation of people who have other physical ailments or, you know, psychologically believe that they have other ailments that gets clustered together. Are you implying that Irene didn't have Lyme disease and just thought she did? She will hunt you down <laughs> if you say yes. I'll address my implications later. Okay. Well, yeah. What we are getting at here <laughs> is that we only watched a couple episodes of this season for the show. The two most infamous episodes, episodes 15 and 16, which are very... Irene-centric, as is Irene. Boy, (laughs) howdy. Her cast members say that she was really cool when she moved in, so we have to maybe assume that they're right. But, like, in these episodes, she is kind of insufferable. Absolutely fucking insufferable. Insufferable is a good word. Yes. I don't want to use the word bitch like other people do too much. That's the problem. I wanted to use the word bitch, but then... You almost want to be on Steven's side, but you can't quite... Yeah, be all the way on. You Sam's almost side. are until yeah, yeah. until he thought. makes sure that you're not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're always here for you, and when you tell him that you have no one to come to, that's a shaft to me. I know, but that's not a shaft. If I spend the day with you and the doctor, it's not because I'm being. I know, I know. She's under a huge amount of pressure, and perhaps it was just her brain reacting, and her Lyme disease, you know, could have played a part in it. But she's definitely having a you know, a difficult time. Come on, you can't look at every yeah, side of you. I always do. That's you're not right now. Is the problem. Because you're not at all. No, no. Maybe because you're sick or irrational, but she did come to Well, maybe not irrational, but I'm saying you're not yourself because of the medication. I've lived with irrational. I know I'm not irrational. All right, all right. I see you getting defensive now, and there's no reason that you should put defense, because we came in here just to tell you that, hey, like, we feel you pushing us away, and you don't want people to feel pity for you, and I know all that, because you are a prideful person. But you know what? That's the way the situation is. Being sick is a real quick way of finding out who's going to be your friend and who's not. Yeah, I mean, you were talking about narcissism with Puck, which I think is true, but, like, that's what I really, like, I had a really negative reaction, like, even more than to Puck, because Puck is at least, like, interesting to watch and is, like, unique. Like he's got he may charisma. Be, he may be awful, but he's good TV. Yeah. Irene is just, like, I don't want to spend a single second with this woman. That's yeah. true. I had a visceral reaction against her. Yeah insufferable yeah so maybe she has a disease that's making her behave some of this way but i also think like she's just awful (laughs) was the thing that i was 
getting that like it just makes you very tired or it changes your personality the expert that they brought on yeah. said it changes your personality and will cause like confusion and you don't always remember what you're saying i'm not a doctor i didn't really see that i saw someone who's just a narcissist and like lashing out because she's not happy mm-hmm. okay yes and using what may be valid medical conditions and a narcissistic bid for sympathy and attention. Oh, I broke out in hives. (laughs) I got acute hives watching her chronic line. Yeah. So this episode is infamous for the slap. um, (laughs) The slap heard around the world. Not the slap. Not the the new slap. Sorry, not slap 2022. Yeah. The slap, what is it? 96. uh, OG slap. <laughs> so it is, it is funny because like the, the episode is called the aftermath of the slap. It's like oh. I know. I was like, even though I had read recently a kind of a synopsis of this episode, for some reason I still confused it that she slapped him. So I was watching this episode like, oh, I mean, I can't wait for her to slap him and get like kicked off the show. Mm. And then he slapped her. Um, so there's a character named Stephen uh, who, as we've said really overuses uh, the term bitch Mm. um, in a very derogatory way. Um, The conflict that arises, I mean, there's, it's quite a buildup, but she has decided to leave the show because of her Lyme disease and she's just not happy. And he has hidden her. She has a favorite stuffed animal she's had since childhood. She loses it because there's footage of being like, have you seen this thing? And people haven't seen it. But then Steven finds it. Well, he had hidden it. Oh, he hid it. Okay. Yes. So first she is like, come over here. I want to like give you a parting gift. Like you're right. Things would never work out between us as a couple because you're a homosexual, which he did not except he, he is a homosexual now but at the oh, time is he oh that i yes. didn't know oh wow at the time was closeted and probably i, I mean oh, who, yeah. knows, who knows what his you know progress was but at, that was a real insult to him at the time because he had also made like a lot of like derogatory comments about gay people on the show oh now see that's that part's i had no idea he was actually gay I had, that, to, I had to look it up because that actually makes his anger at that make a lot more sense I thought he just was gay, like, from watching this episode, because the way that he talks to her, like, and using the word bitch, like, even if he is gay, like, the way he says it is not okay, but somehow, like, the overuse of it kind of signaled that to me, that he was just, like, way too... Like, catty? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know, but I don't I don't care how you want to be talked to. I I don't play your game. Steven, this isn't helping me right now. Because I don't want to play childish games, but I don't want to talk to anyone who's going to be a bitch to me. I'm dead serious. You flipped out right there and you were a straight bitch. I don't know how you get raised in life and then reach a point where you think you can treat another person like that. Sweetie, I just found out that I'm relapsing, okay? And remember I've been having so much hard times with these cameras. I'll tell you why I'm having a hard time with the cameras. Because the one person these cameras aren't figuring out is me. I don't care, Irene. I don't, I don't, baby, I don't need stress in my life. I don't need any stress in my life. You are stressed. S-T-R-E-S-S. But anyway, she says that, then he reveals that he stole the stuffed dog or whatever it is, and then throws it in Puget Sound. <laughs> and then she's driving away, and he, like, makes the car stop and then, like, smacks her across the she face. She's literally gone from the show. She is driving gone. Driving away in the passenger seat, 
and he runs after the car, like hits the car to be like, hey, hey, like one last thing. She opens the door and he slaps her. It's just like she had left the situation. It's like in, it's the, literally the end credits shot of the movie where they're riding off into the sunset. <laughs> And all of a sudden, like, the bad guy is like, wait, hold on, one more thing. Here's a wedding present, slap. Yeah, it's like I know what you did last summer. Like, he comes out for, like, one good scare. Yeah, you can't say that was in the heat of the moment. She was in a car driving away. But they both do, because she did it the same thing with, like, oh, Stephen, come here. Like, I'm going to say this one last thing to you. Like, they're both escalating the problem, and they can yes. easily just yeah. have resolved it. And they bo- they each need to get the last word. Yeah. Absolutely need mm, to. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's compelling TV. I will put it that I way. I mean, a, a normal angry person would just give him the finger, yelled, fuck you. He had to stop the car. This is when I'm like, this reaches another level where you need anger management, which he gets. Where I'm like, you stop a moving vehicle to do that. It was an interesting follow-up episode because first we don't see it. We don't even know that there's footage of it. Is he the one that reveals, like, I slapped her? No, at first he downplays it and he gets a chance to tell everyone. But is he the one that says it happened? I think they know somehow, like maybe the... Like the production team maybe says something okay. or something like it's obvious that there's something else happened. So so he does downplay it. He says, you know, I just hit her on the back of the head, like you do it with your kids. Yeah. And the whole time I'm hearing this, like, uh, I kind of don't believe you, and also that's not good. And then eventually the producers come on to the show, which I found really interesting, and and say like. We're going to show you so yeah. you as a house can make the decision whether you want him to stay or not because you can see what happened. And so we, the viewer, see it. And I think it is really interesting to watch it because of the fact that he stops the car and like does that. And they ultimately decide to not kick him out of the house. I don't know why. Like, what are they really taking away? F- it's not like how much is he losing a bunch of money if he gets kicked out of the house? Is it just like his reputation? Like, he's kind of ruined it already for himself. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was less that they were afraid to, you know, harm him or harm his chances after the show, and more that they all recognized that his beef was specifically and only really with Irene. And that they all wanted to slap her too. (laughs) Uh, No, it made me think like, it's true that like, if they kicked him off the show, maybe he deserves that, but he wouldn't get that help. He wouldn't sign himself up for anger management. That's also true. That too. So it is a way of making him actually get the help. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he could have decided to leave the show if he really didn't want to get the anger management, but he did do it. But it was just interesting as much as I'm like, okay, he he went, we see part of the therapy session in the show, but he just kept minimalizing it. Like, I think, I forgot he was talking to somebody on the phone and he's like, oh, um, Irene went schizo and I, you of know, course. and I took, and I lost it. And he talks like, to a, a couple women at the um, radio station, 107.7 The End. No. <laughs> no, that's uh, right. That's right. <laughs> Gotta get that plug in there. Uh, which I don't think we mentioned. Actually, they all are interning there, I think, yeah, for the season. Yeah. Like, uh, at, later seasons gave them all, like, a task to do as a house, yeah. which is the most kind of, like, manipulation that they do in the reality show kind of way. 
Um, but anyway, he's talking to a couple of the women who are not on, like characters on the show, but like he does not get why they would now be uncomfortable with him. Well, and he catches them. He overhears them talking about them and is just completely beyond outraged and insulted that they would do that. To be clear, he has serious anger issues. Yes, oh, yeah. he like, does. And it was, as much so, yeah. as we don't like Irene... Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's absolutely like, especially rewatching that particular episode. I'm like, no, that is exactly the kind of thing that coworkers should know about. Like, if you're expected to share space with this person in a personal or professional capacity, and they just slap the shit out of someone, you should know that. And if you do that, like, you have to accept that people will talk about it and like share their opinion. Like, he's like offended that they're talking about it. That kind of yeah. comes with outrageous behavior. And, and you can't choose for other people how their perceptions of you are going to be defined. Um, is there a homecoming of this season? No. <laughs> not <laughs> no yet. One, no one yeah. wanted to sign up? <laughs> Probably not. Um, I, I, I don't think Irene would do it. She is now like a podcaster about. Lyme disease. <laughs> and of herself. Course she is. Uh-huh. Of course she is. Back to bitching about her for a second. Um, <laughs> the weird thing about like what she's saying is like she's acting as if this is something that is done. She's like, the camera is all here. Like she's so like offended that she's being filmed. I'm like, girl, you signed up for this. <laughs> she reveals that she's leaving in the strangest way. Where she's like, It was really she's weird. Like, yeah, so tonight I'm gonna leave the show. You're what? I'm like leaving here. I thought you were being sarcastic. No. Irene, you're leaving tomorrow morning. So now I'm going to hang out in Seattle, find out what it's really like. And uh, then I'm going to go down to San Francisco for a while. And then I'm going to head into L.A. And then I think I'm going to do summer school abroad. I haven't really decided yet. Mm-hmm. This is what you really want to do? Mm-hmm. Are you kidding? What do you leave? This is like the best thing in the world. She has a breakfast in order to, like, announce it, too. It in was a weird so... Way. And everyone is like, what? Like, it's, what are you She seemed doing? emotionally like a six or seven-year-old who's like, we're all gonna have breakfast food, and I'm gonna tell you my grand plan. She seemed like I'm someone leaving. who was on some weird medication, honestly. Yeah, she was like, "I'm. this is the best thing ever. She's like, I'm very... I'm the luckiest person in the world. It was so weird. And <laughs> then she was like, I might do, like, some school abroad. It's like... <laughs> I don't think <laughs> I don't think you're a person who should be going to like exotic places with new people. Like clearly that doesn't work for you. You should be going like straight into a care environment of some kind. <laughs> it is weird. I mean, like he slapped her and yet like this episode just makes her look like her behavior just doesn't make sense. Like at least his is like terrible behavior, but like get who he is as a person and like it's consistent with the person that we see. Her she is all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like from one line to the next, there's no consistency in who Literally she is. like from one line to the next, yeah. So yeah, there's a- another almost like kicking off after the infamous puck episode of season three. We're not going to really talk about uh, season eight very much, but Hawaii was the next season, and that was where I jumped on the show. And so, for me, that was a very formative, I guess, real-world season. Specifically because, like, in the very first episode, everyone gets naked and goes in the pool, and then the episode ends with one of them being taken to the ER for, like, alcohol poisoning. So this was also one of the first seasons I saw any of, and I instantly remembered Ruthie. Yeah, she's very memorable. And I was memorable. like, wait, I remember this woman passed out for some reason? And it's like, oh no, that's in this 
episode. It's a pretty interesting season, too. And I think, like, Hawaii is the perfect setting for this show. Because, like, they're stuck on an island and they're basically just in this beautiful house. And all they have to do is, like, get either naked or in, like, <laughs> bathing suits and, like, wander around. It's Why like, wasn't it, like, real world White Lotus? Yeah. <laughs> it basically was. Something I noticed watching these seasons is that I still just don't really relate to anyone. <laughs> Really? Like, I just, they're all in their early to mid-twenties, which I was at some point in my life, but they're just, like, like TV attractive, and the partying, it's just, I don't know, I just don't see myself in anybody in any of these episodes. Well, I mean, I guess I agree in a way, but what... I found interesting is that as like we got closer to like Hawaii and New Orleans, I didn't necessarily relate to these people myself, but I relate like I really they felt like people that I would have known. Like mm-hmm. they felt like their like ideas and they they felt more contemporary to me because they were closer to our age. Like the people in season one are closer to our parents' age now than our age. So in a way, of course, we don't relate to them as much. But these people are just like a few years older than us, and especially like for some reason like Amaya from this season she's like just a blonde from UCLA like she, there's nothing particularly like striking about her but it's like I knew that girl like <laughs> she was your roommate at one point yeah I kept misreading the title of this episode as nudity and 9-11 <laughs> <laughs> and I kept having to remind myself, like, this was several years before 9-11. Yeah. What is the actual title? It's Nudity and 911. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, I love Ruthie. And also, I remembered Tech, but I forgot how much I hated him. Because it's the first episode, and he immediately gets naked and jumps in the pool. And most of the roommates who are already there are women. So it's very clear his angle in, like, getting naked for them and, like, presenting to them. But then Justin, the only gay man in the house, literally the second that he arrives, Tex starts literally accosting him. He's like, are you gay? Are you gay? Nice to meet you. Are you gay? Are you gay, though? Are you gay? You gotta see if you're gay. He was content enough in his own masculinity to immediately, like, literally be dick and balls out to meet women. But the second that there's, you know, a a man there who he can tell is gay, then, like, his dick shrinks and, Mm -hmm. you know, he has to go on the offense somehow. His fear at being just even perceived by a gay man really gave me a bad taste. What's your name? Hi, Justin. I'm Ruthie. Nice to meet you. Ruthie? (laughs) Over there, other naked boy. That's Ted. Yeah, we showed up here and they were skinny dipping. <laughs> What's up, Justin? What's your name? Check. Check. What's up, man? Nice shoes. How much you got? Nice. Are you gay? Are you gay? Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Justin gives me this look of, I can't believe you're asking that. I just wanted to get it out there and open. I'm bisexual and I'm just a big fruit fly. He was very memorable to me for some reason. I don't know why I don't necessarily like him, but I guess just because same. <laughs> he was someone who was much more out and like much more confident and just a wild kind of party guy that I, it was like very different for me. So that's probably why like I remembered him. But yeah, like yeah. of all the people like that I remembered from this show before I started watching this, he was one of them. Yeah, and I mean Ruthie was very memorable to me too. And I I don't I didn't read anything about her. I hope she got help. I hope she's living a good life now. I think she's good. So the next season that we watched a little of was New Orleans, uh, season nine, which take it away, Seth, because <laughs> you clearly are very excited. Uh, I will run down the cast for us just yeah. briefly. Uh, we have Melissa. She's biracial. Julie. She's a Mormon. Danny. <laughs> he's a gay. Kelly. She's a blonde. <laughs> Matt. He's a devout Catholic. 
Jamie, he's a dude. And David, he's a singer who aspires to be the first black president. Spoiler, it did not happen. No, it did not. Come on, be my baby tonight. Come on, be my baby tonight. I've seen the way you treated other thugs you've been with. Come on, be my baby tonight. He does have a good voice. He's good at what he does. He's got a good voice. It just wasn't applicable to the setting. Yeah. Seth. (laughs) Well, I mean, the first character I want to talk about is Matt. Because you want to talk about iconic fashion and people who walk in with a very specific look about them. That does not match their personality. Uh, Matt is a devout Catholic. He looks like Seth Green and Can't Hardly Wait fucked <laughs> Ethan Embry and Empire Records. Not Ethan Embry and Can't Hardly Wait? <laughs> no. He's the grown-up son of Smash Mouth and Sugar Ray. Uh, and I've got a third joke if you want one, and I'm going to tell it whether you want me to or not. No, I'm good. He looks like a raver burnout vanilla ice cloned with DNA from Annie Lennox of the Arrhythmics. Right, I see um, it. This was a man whose drip was impeccable, and I hope we include his photo when we post this episode, because just his entrance in that outfit is one of the most iconic moments and images of real world to me of every season I've ever seen. And I really think that he epitomizes the heights of a certain kind of American white bro aesthetic that was huge in the late 90s and early 2000s. Kind of offspringy. Incredibly offspringy. It, yeah. Absolutely. What year did this come out? 2000, I think. Oh, it's 2000. It, it looks pretty. 2000. Yeah, Just looking like, at publicity photos. Mm-hmm. Like, this is basically the poster for She's All That or exactly, something. Like. Exactly. And it was like watching episode one again. It was like, oh, God. Like, that. just that image of him in those, like, the orangey red glasses is just seared in my mind forever. Yeah, he's a distinctive person who looks exactly the same now, uh, if you see the homecoming. It, he. Like, everyone else has aged. He has not He aged. has not aged. It's terrifying. And especially, like, the straight men on these shows have aged quite a lot. Poorly? Yeah, I mean... Oh, I saw Puck recently. Mm-hmm. Like, they've gone gray. They've usually gained weight. Like, no judgment. That's what happens to people. But they don't look like their former selves. I'm often like, which one is that? Like, I have no idea. <laughs> I have to go back and look at pictures. You're which one? And he just looks exactly the same. Even my regional geographic bias aside, I ended up watching a lot more this season because I loved it. And I, I loved it at the time. I loved it rewatching it. To me, the standouts are Melissa and Danny. Can you remind me who those people are again? <laughs> Danny is the gay guy. <laughs> okay. And when he's, you know, starting the season of the show, he had only like just come out to his parents and closest friends, I think. It was like really recent that he'd come out. And Melissa is biracial. She's Filipina and African-American. Okay. Is she the one that, like, has boy problems? Yes. Well, she's... I think the episode that you're talking about 
is she's like really crushing on one of the other guys yes. in the house. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's, Jamie, she's right? kind of a romantic. Um, yeah. Yeah. She went on a date in one episode and he's like, I got a girlfriend or something. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's Melissa. Yeah. It is interesting how much she stands out considering she's not like Danny is a pivotal person in this season because he's like one of the people dealing with a big issue that he's gay and he's dating um, a guy named Paul who's in the military. Oh. And so they have to blur out his face. Oh, interesting. When yeah. he's we'll, on. And we'll We'll get to that, but like I loved Melissa so much the first time I watched it. Like she literally her entrance on this show is Danny shows up at the hotel to like pick her up, and Melissa's got her big suitcase, and the only other item she has is a gigantic fucking yellow bag of rice. <laughs> and she's <laughs> like, I just needed to make sure that I brought my rice with me. And I'm like, I love you so much instantly. It is such a specific, like she's such a specific and unique and charismatic person and Mm. i love her energy and she's one of the characters on the show i think who tells the truth all the time especially when it gets her in trouble (laughs) cannot stop herself from speaking her mind and in a way that i can understand why it would have annoyed people like would have annoyed her roommates especially back then but now it's like literally a lot of the things that she was talking about a lot of the things you know that were issues that she would address with her roommates in the way that they talked to her or acted around her were very prescient and very honest to what it means to be a biracial person and she was just so open about all of that and so loud about it in a way that i really respect now I don't deeply understand it, but I can, I'm getting there. The fact of the matter is, I am a white man. I don't completely wholly understand the feeling that a person gets when they're a minority and when they're subject, when they're subject of racism, but I'm trying. I really, really like you, you know, and I just thought that it was asking a lot of me to please not talk about that because that, that is a big part of my life. It's a big part of who I am. Right. The whole racial situation was just a catalyst for me understanding fully how Jamie feels about me and how I feel about him. I was more disappointed that it had to come from you, you know what I mean? Like anybody else could have done that, I'd be like, oh, I don't want to waste my time anyway. You know, but it was you and I was like, oh, but I like him. I think that she's shown me that like, people are sad, people are angry and people have those feelings and they're justifiable. To me, like the person who stands out the most from this season is Julie, um, another conservative Julie who oh, is coming, uh, just like the one from season one. And she, again, is the conservative one. Cheap she's Mormon? A, yeah, she's yeah, a Mormon, and Mormon. Who is experiencing like all of this for the first time. And Melissa's a big part of that because Melissa's pretty patient in like allowing and like kind of explaining things to Julie, who like at one point refers to someone as colored. And Melissa has to be like, that is not what we say. In, in this yeah, year. No one says you know? that anymore. To me, at least remembering this season, like I definitely remembered her. And to me, she kind of like dominates the season in terms of like the way that Julie did in the in the first season. And I guess that's just an interesting story of having that person who is like constantly like, you know, having new experiences, but is pretty open-minded to experiencing them. Well, but also another aspect of her personality is that she dominates everything and makes all of it about her. And so a thing I remembered and definitely like rewatching more of the episodes than were on our list. It's even like a major part of the homecoming episodes that are have, have happened so far. Whenever Julia's challenged on anything, she breaks down in tears and puts on the wounded animal act so that 
everyone around her will give her sympathy and pacify her and soothe her. And it's like they get to a point where they're all completely sick of that shit because it's a defense mechanism, obviously, but it's also a thing that is hindering her learning and actually, you know, matching that attitude she has of wanting to learn with real learning. I'm learning more in this conversation with you than I did in four years of high school and three years of college. And that's disgusting to me. Damn right. I would be upset, too, if I discovered, oh, my goodness, I know nothing. You're 20 years old, and there are things that are common knowledge, that are common American knowledge, that you have no idea about because wherever you came from or whatever community you grew up in, shut that out. But, I mean, now that you recognize that, it's your responsibility now to reach out and find that information. But I feel like I've been cheated. I feel like I've been, like, withheld from things that it's just not fair. You have been, and it isn't fair. I still don't think I'm closed-minded. It's not a matter of that. You've got kids and just people in the world that are very open about this kind of thing, but they just don't have... It was interesting to see how insane the houses got. <laughs> oh my god. As the seasons go on because in yeah. season 1, <laughs> the house is definitely like very 90s velvet things and just the prints used for decor, but it still resembled uh, an apartment. <laughs> it didn't represent a Nickelodeon set. <laughs> and then by the time New Orleans and we're going to talk about Chicago. The sets are insane. They're insane. Insane. Like, like these New are Orleans, fun houses. New Orleans does not claim any ownership of that style. <laughs> that is not New Orleans style. I promise you this. I, it was. It was distracting. <laughs> it was distressing. <laughs> it was distressing. <laughs> if I had to live there, it would just cause me stress to look at the walls and furniture. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm surprised by season twenty four. They're not living in a wrinkle in time like land. Real like, Real world, the Hidden Temple. <laughs> yeah, just like... <laughs> Real world, the Jamiroquai music video set. <laughs> like, like... It was so... It was so funny to watch. That was one of the... <laughs> One of the things that I remembered really being entertained by at the time, but especially laughed at now. To me, that was normal because I started with season eight and nine. So it was like, (laughs) the first one was like this gorgeous place in Hawaii. And so season one, I'm like, why are you living in a shabby apartment? Like, that's not the show. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) So I definitely want to talk about Danny. Danny was one of the very first gay characters gay people, like real life gay people I ever saw on television. And that was definitely during a time when I hated myself intensely. It was around the year 2000. So that was like around the time I pretty much knew I was gay. And nothing in popular culture provided any kind of affirmative role models. You know, at this time, I had no idea that maybe someday my attraction to men, you know, could lead to any kind of happy relationship that I could ever possibly be in love with someone. I also didn't have real role models for positive, happy, heterosexual, romantic relationships at the time either. And I feel like these things are always easy to overstate, but it meant a whole lot to me. And I know it meant a lot to a lot of gay people around our age, but it meant a whole lot to me to see Danny and for him to be a part of that show, for him to be on the New Orleans season. And it was interesting watching the Homecoming shows because that was a thing that he understood at the time and he felt 
a lot of that pressure personally and took it personally. He's like one of those people who I would just like, I would love to be able to give him a high five or give him a hug or something and thank him for literally doing nothing more than just being the person he was, you know, struggles and all, being who he was, where he was. Sometimes that's very, very brave. It, yeah, it was extremely brave of him. Well, that's true, but he also, there was a bigger issue because he had a boyfriend named Paul whose face had to be blurred out because if his identity don't was ask, revealed... Don't Ask, Don't Tell was still... Yeah, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was in place. So if his identity was found out, he could be dishonorably discharged from the military, like lose all his benefits. like. And so the fact that he's dating someone who's now kind of the face of gay people for like young MTV viewers is like a huge conflict and something that they struggled with like they would have to this is from the homecoming episode go into a grocery store and like shop separately so that like they wouldn't be seen together for years after the show what happened with that relationship he goes into detail in the second episode of homecoming really unfortunately you know and understandably so their relationship came to be defined by that dynamic of each feeling like they had to hide each feeling like the other had to hide i think it would be helpful for people who listen to this to understand that Don't Ask, Don't Tell was not a long-standing policy in America. Don't Ask, Don't Tell wasn't policy until 1993. The supposed purpose of Don't Ask, Don't Tell was claimed by the people who passed it that they wanted to allow people to be able to join the military. But the form in which they did that was making it a law that you would dishonorably discharge if you might be gay. It wasn't mm-hmm. It wasn't only people who self-attested. Thousands of people were dishonorably discharged on the basis of complete fucking speculation and hearsay say, and people just, you know, settling personal beefs and scores. But I go to that level of detail to kind of point out, especially to people who may be younger than us, that that was a very new policy at that time. And there was a lot of deliberate ambiguity about how open you could be outside of your military life. So it's complete. it was completely understandable to me, especially watching it now, and especially having read more about that policy now, why Paul was so terrified, so terrified. And Danny, too, to, you know, a lesser extent, but Danny was very much, like, in puppy love with this guy, and they were, you know, like, Mm -hmm. newly in love. But it's a kind of torture, really. It's a kind of psychological torture to go around in your life feeling like you absolutely have to stay shrouded in secrecy and be have to be paranoid to that level and to that extent. Yeah. Can't have a picture of your boyfriend up where you sleep. Yeah. Yesterday, I almost... I thought I wasn't going to go. Why? I have no idea. You're starting to worry about all this, aren't you? I'm definitely worried about Paul and, like, the issues with his identity in the military. You know, like, it has to stay hidden. You'll be here, like, Thursday evening? I will call you before I leave. Yeah, I met an awesome guy. His name is Paul. I, I don't know. I've never felt like this for somebody before. Are you still with Paul? Mm-hmm. Is he coming? Nah. Well, I don't know. Why? Because he's beautiful. See what he's wearing in the middle picture. What is that? Military. Exactly. So not a secret. That's not a secret. Secrets are like, um, I have one nut or something. (laughs) (laughs) For me, I have to be very careful with what I reveal about him. I could ruin his career, his life, and his 
family doesn't know. I remember Danny as like a very memorable character. I don't necessarily, I didn't have the same reaction to him that Seth did. I almost had like an opposite reaction in terms of just like seeing it with the blurred face. Like it just like highlighted how much of an other Danny was and how like if he had just been, you know, talking about his boyfriend, I think that would have felt, you know, more normal. But because like he had this person and his face was blurred out, it just like has this context of like this person is so different that we can't even show them or like showing them would be so scandalous or harmful that we can't even like see this person's face so it leaves me with a very negative feeling i mean their relationship itself you know may have been like a very positive loving relationship but the way that it's presented is so obviously hidden that like there's literally like a blur like makes me feel bad it makes me skin crawl a little bit that it has to be that that. queasiness Mm -hmm. too yeah yeah it was not an unalloyed like positive thing watching him you know and it's like also for me there was the whole kind of dysphoria of almost everyone who's ever been on this show is not a person of size. There are no really very few, if any, fat people on this show ever. And there was always kind of a dysphoria for me where every single gay man on the show was always very skinny, almost always very conventionally attractive. Well, we'll end on a later note. With uh, (laughs) no nudity and 9-11. Season 11 took place in Chicago and was filmed in uh, 2001. I did not watch this show at this point because I was in college, but there is an episode where it is Anissa's birthday on September 11th, uh, 2001. And that happens. As much as this show talks about a lot of issues that were really prevalent in the 90s, I mean, you rarely see, like, a historical event, like, happening on the show. At least none of the episodes I saw, they were really commenting on current events. I think they try and shelter them from that. Like, I don't think they're allowed to watch TV ordinarily in the the house. Yeah, I don't think they have TVs in there so that they stay, like, kind of sheltered from the media. What are they, jury duty? TVs in there, but I think the TVs are more for, like, you know, they're, like, video messages to them and stuff. Right. I don't think yeah. that they're allowed to watch, like, the news. I don't know. Yeah, I don't Why? Know. Just because then they'll date it if they start talking about cr- very, very current events? Weird. Maybe. All I know is, like, for this episode, they, like, had to bring in a TV and show them what was happening. They didn't have, like, a live television, I don't think, to watch unless, like, the producers yeah. brought it in. Yeah, so, like, it's it's a little hard to watch this episode because we're, we're not, we didn't watch, like, the episodes leading up where, like, I knew any really, anything really about the characters or the cast members, I should say. But it was really interesting just seeing how people reacted to this in the moment versus, you know, kind of how we add a lot of context to it when we think about it now. But this was just, like, sort of the moment itself of, like, the day of 9-11. What can you do? You can only pray. And it's just hard to keep faith when something so destructive happens. And why? And why? And why? The hate these terrorists have in their hearts. If you are capable of taking this many lives, then God have mercy on your souls. I gotta say, this is not the show's fault, but I'm so burnt out on 9-11 imagery and going over the events of that day that I feel like my brain just shut off watching this episode where I'm like, I can't take another 9-11 anything. It's been 20 plus years. I'm just like, I can't. It's it's just draining, <laughs> you know? <laughs> 9-11 is draining. It's draining. And I feel like if at the time I had watched this and it would be a way to relate to these people and be and th- and think about what happened 
on my day and you know what I mean? And just like be there feeling that with them. But like 20 years later, I was just like, I don't need this (laughs) again in my life. I felt differently. I mean, I'm still interested in, and especially like seeing it in this format versus something that has more history attached to it. Or like, this is just like, they're not necessarily that interesting of people, at least like what I saw in this episode of them. Like they're just average people. And so to me, it was interesting to just see what six or seven like random people, like what their experience of the day was without like it really like adding a lot else in. Like there's no... There's very little context of, like, what happened or, like, why. It's just sort of Mm -hmm. the basic reaction. I hated it. (laughs) I knew it. I mean, I hated it for, I think, the same reasons I hate almost all stories that are told about 9-11. Because they end up being stories about America's shattered innocence. About the violated purity of the most warmongering country that's ever existed in the history of history. I hated being alive at that time. Like, I was in high school debate, and I always use that as an opportunity to try to learn as much as I could. So at that point, I learned a lot more about what America had already done, and why what happened on 9-11-2001 happened. I especially hated this episode because it stripped all the context away, and it made it about these perfectly dull, smooth surfaces (laughs) onto which we could project empty patriotism and jingoism and flag-waving, which, I mean, I'm sure anyone that listens to this will remember back to what actually happened which is that we had all this empty talk of unity specifically in order to stifle and close off any real political debate, any real debate about how America should react, how all of the justifiable horror and fear was used to, you know, build the largest military that's ever existed, an unaccountable worldwide surveillance state, an unaccountable worldwide torture regime. That wouldn't go with this show. Well, but I'm saying this is the context that comes with watching these things to me. One of the things I loved in season one about what Kevin Powell was talking about. One of the other roommates in the house just offhand is like, but America is such a great place. And he's like, what's so great about America? Why is America a great nation? And that's a question that I don't think almost any forms of popular media like to ask. But that was a question that really came up for me watching this. Because like Becky said, 9-11, the imagery of it is all total shorthand now. And it's used to kind of hint at vague feelings of like, oh, why can't we get back to all that unity that we felt right after it happened? Well, I agree that there's a lot of context to 9-11 that is not in this, like, that I also thought about. It felt like a very simplistic reaction and a very, like, kind of one-track-minded reaction that did feel, like, very collective to these people. But, like, to me, that was interesting to see because that was the reaction that a lot of people had. And this episode like Becky and I had just showed up to college like a few weeks mm-hmm. this was a few weeks into our first year at college so we were in a very similar position to these people of having like just gone away from home and we're living with people that were previously strangers to us from all different places and we were in college so I think probably the conversations that we were hearing and having were a little bit more nuanced than these ones and also we weren't on TV and having to watch what we were saying but you know like in general I I think this did sort of capture it was an interesting like snapshot of what people this age overall like in america were responding like i think the problem with this episode is it's an episode of tv and the producers have to shape it Mm. and give it an end yeah Mm -hmm. and 
And I think the only thing acceptable at the time when talking about 9-11 is, you know, yay America. (laughs) I am pro-America. I've never felt more patriotic. Being together, unified with my neighbor, and we're going to support each other. And it's a very, like, rah-rah America, hooray my neighbors and my community. When I actually, like, went through 9-11 in college, what I was actually thinking was dread sadness, Mm -hmm. confusion that didn't have an end. Mm -hmm. I remember going to a vigil like that night and it's not like I was like, I'm feeling better. (laughs) You know, like I wanted to go to the vigil to be with other people and hear people speak and, and have that camaraderie about this shared moment. But like at the end of the day, these feelings just kept going on. (laughs) Right. And, and, and that's, television though is that the producers have to shape an episode of television and what are you going to leave that with the the, you're going to leave the audience with uh i feel like shit (laughs) like a confessional being like like what's the fuck is going to happen like so that happened (laughs) (laughs) or just like maybe those cast members really were feeling that but the producers can't put that as Mm -hmm. the end of this episode they have to make it be about we met our neighbors and we and we shared a moment with them and and we feel, you know, feel better at the end of the day than when we started. And, and I think the other part of it that really stuck out to me is that same guy who, you know, expresses that, you know, he's never felt more patriotic and, you know, he's like meeting his neighbors and he loves that. He immediately says like a couple things about like, well, we're going to have to go to war now. <laughs> I'm just going to have to go to war now. Yeah, I think what Becky said was really, really well yeah and yeah that's perfect very astute like this episode did not i don't want to overstate how interesting i thought it was because like it did not like satisfy me or like make me like really like think or feel what i think a better depiction of that day and like how real people responded to it It, this wasn't that it did feel like a little pat and it felt like it kind of like a very special episode where they did have to wrap it up there were little hints of like how people were feeling the producer, I mean, I think it's the same producers, but who did like season one and season three and took risks. Yeah. Like th- this w- episode didn't feel like it was taking a no. risk whatsoever. Just listening to my grandpa and knowing what that generation had to go through. And we, how much we take for granted. I get so pissed off about what happened. So pissed off and so upset to the point where I, I want to go over there and do something about it. The Twin Towers are no more. I'm scared for our country. Somebody took our our own planes, our own people, and threw them through our buildings and blew it up. They're celebrating. And it was so efficient. It was so efficient, you guys. United States, we are always so badass. Like, we got everybody bad, blah, 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 blah. And we just got our asses kicked right now. Now we're like, oh yeah, let's kick some Palestinian ass. That's exactly, and that's exactly what's going to happen. Right, exactly. Listen to all of us who are saying, like, well, let's get it back. So I guess, like, overall watching these episodes, what really, like, stood out to me is just how much our relationship to cameras has changed and, like, being filmed. I watched Ed TV like, maybe a year ago, and the whole premise of that is basically, like, what if we filmed an ordinary guy, like, 24-7? It's basically, like, you know, a, more of a comedic, like, Truman show. But, like, so many lines in that movie are just like, what? Like, you're gonna watch an ordinary person on television? <laughs> 
like the that whole, movie would not hold up. It doesn't, but it's really interesting <laughs> because it doesn't hold up. I would like to. I've never seen that movie. Oh my god! Well, and it also is like Ellen DeGeneres is like a ball busting like TV executive. All right. Like, oh great. But what that also made me think of is just now all anyone does is watch normal people's lives being recorded. We consider it like normal, like that we like mm-hmm. open up our phones and there's people's ordinary lives, whatever they're doing, you can kind of just, you know, see it. And that it was like at this point a radical concept and now is basically our entire ecosystem is like really kind of scary. Well, and in a way, I also think that like we were talking about earlier, how like we're at a point even past postmodernism, we're in like post-postmodernism. I think that idea of quote-unquote reality is such a different thing now. In the context of, you know, things like Instagram and Facebook, it's purely a performative fantasy, and it's purely an act of self-curated, outwardly directed storytelling. And it's interesting the way that media have changed, but also the way that those changes in media have shaped the way that we define reality, and also how we value reality, (laughs) and the way that, like, the thing that we value is real now is so obviously fake and often so destructive in its fakeness. It was fascinating to me because th- this this show was a lot less black and white to me regarding its relationship with what I see as reality. And in a lot of ways, it embraced and poked and prodded at reality, at real reality, in a way that like newer technologies and newer platforms and social media don't even try to do. Um, maybe couldn't do, but just don't try to do in the way that we normally experience them. This feels more real to me than almost anything I would see (laughs) on YouTube, (laughs) even though that's like, this is filmed by like a a TV network and is like edited as a show, a piece of entertainment, but it still feels more real than a video that starts off with, hi guys, (laughs) you know, like absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. It's like, it hits the nail on the head. Like it's, and it's crazy to me watching this with this much relative distance from the nineties. I did not expect going in that I would be like, this really is a lot more like the real world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I went into this thinking like, this is going to feel dated. The early days of reality TV are going to be so different and like trying to like figure out the format and it's like nope they got it right away they got it really quickly and like becky said earlier i think it's like it's crazy how those things became such conventions Mm -hmm. of reality tv and clearly on screen you can see that these people are kind of just fucking winging it yeah and it's interesting that like these people are living breathing people who like live on (laughs) and that now we can watch these homecoming episodes and it's like it's very much like a high school reunion or something Mm -hmm. and that's kind of how i related to these like the ones that i had seen before the cast members is that oh like i barely remember them but once you like someone says oh remember this person from high school and you're like oh was she the person with the blonde hair that like did this and then you're like okay i remember like that's kind of the relationship that i had with these people like i did have to like google some of them and be like is this person like Mm -hmm. what did they turn into and it's always like surprising in some way one of the new orleans guys who like changed his name to tokyo and is like (laughs) a weird like youtube we didn't talk about david but <laughs> this is too late now to named to Tokyo, but we're going to have to put the song that he makes at the end, because that itself was one of the most iconic things from Real World. So I guess we think it's interesting, right? It's interesting. I can't say like, oh my God, you should go back and watch The Real World. But if you somehow, where can you even watch it? Paramount? Paramount yeah, Plus? you can watch most of the seasons on Paramount Plus, although they're missing a lot of good ones. You can also, uh, I think, purchase to stream some of the seasons on 
Amazon. That may be like a Paramount Plus tie-in or something, but I noticed that they're also on Amazon. The last thing that I wanted to talk about was just the way in which, surprisingly, the show is not super available. What's a product of the video age? You would expect that something like this would, you know, be streaming all over the place. It's because reality shows really aren't saved. Like, once a season is gone, it's gone. Because most people are like, why would you watch some random season of a reality show? I think nostalgia probably is the best way in. Like, if you saw a season like at the time you like i would start with that season because it it does help to have some kind of connection to the people from before and i'd also say again it's like knowing now that there are reality shows i like if you're out there and you're a fan of reality tv i think it would be really interesting to watch this show cold just as kind of a historic lesson about like where this came from how this genre you know sprang up if you have to write a term paper about reality (laughs) television and how it evolved over the years you'll have an interesting time watching your world (laughs) i would probably watch full seasons of this before i would watch any reality show that's on right now i'll give you some some british baking show (laughs) yeah we're gonna get you watching bad girls because like the way that Monique, <laughs> I don't think that's going the to way that Monique teaches these strippers manners, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's really beautiful. I want to film Chris watching reality shows <laughs> the way that Shia LaBeouf like like filmed himself watching his own movies. There's gonna be a reality <laughs> show about me hating reality shows. I love it. <laughs> And that's all of Chris's Unreal World we have time for in this episode of When We Were Young. And be sure to have your bike basket, your Reese's Pieces, and your young Drew Barrymore all ready to go. Because on our next episode, When We Were Young finally revisits the 1982 Steven Spielberg classic E.T. The Extraterrestrial. Please make sure to tell your friend Elliot to listen too. And if you don't yet have a friend named Elliot, be sure to make one before our next episode drops. The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else you get your podcast product. Please contribute to us as well on Patreon at patreon.com slash young so that we can bring you more episodes of this show distributed entirely for free. I have been Seth. I'm Becky. And I'm not here to make friends. <laughs> You're always brilliant in the morning. Smoking your cigarettes And talking over coffee Your philosophies are not Baroque moved Do you love Mozart? And you speak of your loved ones As I clumsily strummed my guitar Well, excuse me Guess I'm mistaking you for somebody else Somebody who gave a damn